Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Coming up a little bit later on this morning, do you know that school story from Dublin yesterday where the class was sent home because a pupil tested positive for COVID-19? That, of course, has massive implications for parents and it has implications for their rights and work and their sick pay rights and all of that. And people will be rightly worried that if, as it will happen, kids will get COVID-19 and be found positive for COVID-19, what's going to happen then when the class is sent home and all these youngsters need to be minded. What are their parents going to do with work? That and more to come. 1857 Text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. The email for the show is opinion at 96fm.ie. Now, last week I spoke to a woman. Now, you might remember this. I took a call. She was quite distressed about a recent experience at CUH. Um, she told me that uh, while she was recovering from surgery, she was given a bed in a mixed ward. You remember it. She said she was with two men. One of them had dementia and she felt this was an inappropriate place to put her bed at any time, let alone when she was just after a major operation. You can imagine how she might feel. Now, that reminded us of a story we'd covered earlier in the year. And that story in turn had emerged from a case before the Circuit Criminal Court. That case, you remember it now, the guy, yeah, he was found guilty of sexually assaulting a young a young girl in a mixed ward at CUH. You remember that? That was supposed to lead to policy and procedure changes at CUH with regard to the placing of people in mixed wards. And as this woman told me her story last week, we got to wonder... Did that actually happen? Were those changes actually made? Because it appeared that they hadn't been. Now, at the time of that case, we spoke to uh, journalist Neil Michael from The Examiner because he was following up furiously on that court case to see had the policies been changed, had the practices been been changed. And Neil, I think to this very day, the 2nd of September, you are still trying to chase CUH for an answer. Good morning. 
Good morning, BJ. Yeah, that just seems a very bizarre kind of shroud of secrecy around this particular situation. Um, now, I'm, I've, 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 I'm on to my third freedom of information request. Um, repeated questions, just very specific questions, asking, you know, what were the recommendations of this review? What recommendations have been implemented? Mm. And what assurances can you give a parent of a young boy or girl that they they won't get abused on a hospital board. Can you rewind just for briefly, uh, yeah. Neil, for the sake of listeners who are just joining us, the original case that led to you following this up? 17-year-old girl, very badly injured, placed on an all-male room uh, just off a, off, off, off a ward, and a, a man, CH62, uh, from... Um, uh, I think it's just outside Drimmer League, um, uh, age 62, and a schizophrenic, um, basically sexually assaulted her. And staff only found out this assault was taking place because his heart monitor went up and they went in and discovered what was going on. The poor girl had absolutely no way of getting reaching for help because she was so badly injured, she couldn't reach the, the, um, the personal alarm. The judge... Uh, who found this man guilty of um, sexual assault and sentenced to, I think it was two years, um, uh, suspended sentence. Unprecedented attack on Cork University Hospital. It's very unusual for for a judge to to give out yards to an institution. Mm. And sure enough, basically said, what the hell was going on here? You clearly don't have an admission policy in place. You know, this, he was... He was understandably very um, outraged about the whole situation. This, this was Judge Sean O'Donovan in Cork. That's right. Sen- sentencing and so, Andrew Donovan, yeah. And yeah. Andrew Donovan, uh, two years uh, suspended sentence. Now, it was a first offence as far as he was concerned, but he has a long history of mental illness. And the question was asked, why was a, a little girl, a girl in a vulnerable state placed beside this, this man? Um, and, you know, so we understandably asked Cork University Hospital, what have you done about this? And all they, was, all they said to us at the time, this is back in February, was we, have inst- in, we, we um, did a review of admission, admission protocols. So we asked very simple questions after that, like when did you initiate this review? Who carried out the review? What were the recommendations? Which ones have been implemented? What assurances can you give this won't happen again? And do you express any regret? for what happened and it's been it's been mostly radio silence ever since you know um, they won't tell us what the recommendations were they won't tell us specifically which ones were implemented as a result of recommendations that were made no assurances have been made about whether or not this uh, such an incident could happen again mm. um, and certainly no expression of, of remorse and it's literally been, it's been like pulling teeth yeah. Um, and Mary Crilly makes a very, very good point. She says a lot of people probably don't realise this sexual assault took place in 2018. Mm-hmm. Mary Crilly being the, um, the CEO of the um, Sexual uh, Violence Centre. Yeah. Sexual Violence Centre, yeah. And she's thinking about it. a lot of people probably don't realise this, this um, uh, uh, offence took place. And it's only when people realise that it took place that they really, really need to do one particular thing when they get into Cork University Hospital is to ask, what ward is my son or daughter going into? Yeah. Who is going to be in there? And they need to be cognizant of what are the admission protocols? 
what type of people are going to be in the same ward? Because at the moment, there are no assurances coming from Cork University, University Hospital about this. And I'm right in saying, am I not, Neil, that all of the stuff that you've been looking for for the last number of months, they're all stuff that should be available as public record. Oh, it's, it's, it, look, it's very basic stuff. Like, the, the reasons they gave for not granting the last um, feed of information, information request, they said basically it wasn't in the public interest. And uh, they made all sorts of um, uh, explanations about this. Uh, I think essentially what they're saying is that basically they should be able to go about doing what they're doing without uh, pesky journalists asking questions or the public, uh, you know, feeling for one second that an organisation like this should be accountable. Like the reality is they're paid for by taxpayers' money. They're treating people, you know, they're a public institution uh, being paid to treat other people. They should be transparent and they should be open to to some kind of um, uh, accountability. And they have been hauled over the the coals by by his senior judge of the circuit court and told, get your house in order. And you as a journalist are wondering, have they followed up on that order? You're entitled to do that. Not not only am I entitled to do it, but the average member of public should be able to know this information, to know anyone who remembers what happened. I mean, imagine your own daughter or son in the hospital ward, unable to call for help because you're so badly injured and you're being sexually assaulted. And the only reason why, not because somebody was monitoring the ward or anything like that, the only reason why they found out this was happening was because the guy's heart alarm went up. You know, this is the 21st century. There should be, we, we, you know, we're not in the dark ages anymore. We shouldn't be in the dark ages anymore. Yeah. They should be able to spot this by monitoring. Like, for example, the, the whole monitoring, um, uh, it wasn't just the admission protocols that the judge had to go at. It was also the fact that there was um, very little uh, monitoring going on. You know, what is wrong with this hospital? And why can't management explain to people, let alone journalists? I mean, you know, I'm sure we all think we're a bit gifted, you know, we can ask questions, et cetera, et cetera. Ordinary members of the public should be able to know this information and for some reason best known to the management of um, Cork University Hospital. They don't think we need to know this information yeah. and it's, it, like, it's, it's staggering. Like, they issued a statement to you yesterday, didn't they? They, they said did, yeah. that you follow, they follow HSE national guidance and has updated policy procedure and guidelines in respect of the admission of young people to COH and has undertaken a full systems analysis in respect of this incident and yet you can't get a look at what they've done. Well, I asked, I asked, for example, I mean, I asked the HSE and I asked, as soon as I got that answer, I said, what are, what is HSE national guidance in respect of 16 to 18 year olds? And if you Google it, all you really come up with is articles on, published by the HSE to do with mental health, addiction problems. Um, I, 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 you know, what, what, I, I, I'm baffled. Like, why can't they just answer the questions? Yeah. It says also the hospital is also working to increase bed capacity and the availability of single rooms to meet demand through a number of capital developments. So this incident happened more than two years ago. And the best they can come up with is saying we're looking at, we're thinking or we're looking at or we, we might increase the number of beds in the hospital. Bearing in mind, this is the only hospital group in the country that when they were asked a, a number of questions how many new trolleys have you bought in the last X number of years and how many beds have you bought? They were the only hospital group 
not to answer the question. And this was a survey that I did when I was working for a different newspaper. So for them to turn around and say, we're working at increasing bed capacity. Sure, every hospital is working at increasing bed capacity. Indeed, indeed. Why can't it just answer the question? But not every hospital has been dragged over the coals in the circuit criminal court. Thank you, Neil. Neil Michael of uh, the Irish Examiner. The continuing mystery of what exactly the CUH is doing following its chastisement in the circuit criminal court by Judge Sean O'Donovan in the case against uh, Andrew O'Donovan from League who sexually assaulted a young girl so badly injured and she was that she couldn't move, couldn't protect herself and he was in the same ward as her. She was a child and, and he attacked her. And then last week I take a call from a woman who was recovering in, from surgery only recently and tells me that she was placed with two men, one of whom had dementia. Now, look, we're not having a go here at nurses and doctors. Let's be very clear about this because they've been working flat out round the clock since February and they're overworked as it is without the joys of a pandemic visited upon them. But two years ago now, this hospital was told fix your policies. And Neil can't get the answers out of them. No, we can't get answers out of them as to what they've done. So have you or any of your family found themselves in a situation lately or in recent times in CUH that you felt uncomfortable with or you felt was strange? Like, have you found yourself on a mixed ward? Uh, and if you were, uh, were you uncomfortable? Now, some wards are mixed by their very nature. And that's just thing, like things like extreme emergency wards, for example would be mixed, that the, the cardiac unit would be mixed, all those specialised units, the kidney unit, they'd all be mixed. Don't mind that now. Places where they deal with male and female patients obviously would be mixed. But in places where you'd go to recover after surgery or that kind of thing, were you ever put on a mixed ward? Were you surprised about being put on a mixed ward? Were Did you have a 17 or 18-year-old uh, who was left in a ward mixed ward and were you concerned about it? Do you want to find out what it is going on? Because Neil can't wrench it out of the hospital what they've been doing, even though they were told to do it. They were told to look at the policy. Now they've said they have. They've said they have. But they won't tell anyone what they've actually done. Monica says that's a terrible thing to happen to that young girl. Yeah, and there's no guarantee available from the hospital that it won't happen again is the thing. 1850-715-996. That ongoing story about the dairy gold factory in Mogili, we've been following it for quite a while now. And dairy gold got a license to do what exactly what the locals didn't want them to do. Let's touch base with the locals next. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the indoor self-service laundrette. Now at the Junction Vickers Road. Open every day to save you time and money. Self-service laundry.ie Due to COVID-19, the big summer concerts... 
are all off, but the biggest stars will still play this summer. One, two, three. The Back Garden Festival. It's a new online station that plays non-stop festival hits from the ultimate superstar lineup. Round the clock every day. The Back Garden Festival with Harvey Norman, your specialist in sound this summer. Get all the lowdown and listen live on the Cork's 96FM app or go to 96FM.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 96 On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, we're trying to get a few calls and messages now uh, following on from our conversation there with Neil Michael of The Examiner. We're just asking people. This is two years ago now that the COH were told by Judge Sean O'Donoghue to change their policy and he hauled them over the cord, the coals in the court, which is unusual. And, and they were told to do something about it and they said they would. No one can figure out what it is they actually did because they won't tell anybody. So we're asking for your own experience if you have had a teenager in the hospital or if you were in the hospital yourself and found yourself in a in a place where you said, hang on a second, should I be here? Is this right? I'm, a, I'm uncomfortably here. Call us at 1850-715-996 or text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Send us an email to opinion at 96fm.ie and if we will, of course, protect your identity if that's what you want. Let's go to East Cork, though, where a large cheese processing plant has been granted a discharge licence to pump millions of litres of fats, oils and grease into the harbour at Ratcorsi. Uh, now, this was announced by the Environmental Protection Agency. This is the cheese factory. It's a big job. It's a big tie-up between Dairy Gold and Tyne, uh, the Norwegian cheese company. Uh, it's a massive boost to the area, and no, no one's objecting to the actual factory. But it's where the, the wash, as it were, will be going into the sea has been the problem. Debbie Hayes is from Protect East Ferry Waters. We've talked before. Morning, Debbie. Good morning. How are you? Good. Now, again, let's stress from the start. Nobody's nobody's against the factory, but it's where well, they it's, it's where they want to drain off the water. Certainly, down, down here in East Ferry, our residents per se do not have any issue with dairy gold for any you know um, proposed developments in in Mogili. However, I must say that uh, there are indeed many people in Mogili itself who are dissatisfied with with the with the presence of the factory itself. In fact, I've heard many complaints about um, you know rules being broken about light and noise by by residents down there who are some so unhappy that they're actually considering leaving the area. Yeah. So it's it's interesting actually. Um, they they uh, you have the one side of you know jobs for the area, which is wonderful, um, but you do have down in Mogili itself on the site lots of of dissatisfaction as well from locals. What our issue down here in East Ferry is is that we have uh, one of the inner, we, it's, it's called the, the North Channel. It's an inner part of the harbour. So uh, we have tides here in the area. We have protected species. We have one of the most picturesque beauty spots in East Cork. We have the famous Murph's Tavern down here that many of your listeners would know. It's a beautiful, beautiful spot. Yeah. It is, however, already highly contaminated. It is already what we would call a sacrifice zone. Um, for example, 
example, we have uh, Shellfish Limited, um, wonderful oyster company who had to close down business um, because of the, the, the presence of paralytic shellfish poisoning. can yeah. be fatal if consumed, um, if shellfish is consumed um, from that specific area due to the fact that there is so much pollution in the area. We take yeah. sewage from Middleton, we take Irish distillers pollution, and now... On top of that, the EPA have scandalously, scandalously um, given permission, the very people who are meant to protect the agency, they have given permission for 4 million litres of fats, oils and grease to be uh, flushed into the North Channel. Uh, We have scientific evidence to show that that is detrimental to the, to that area. Yeah. Why? Because we have a special area of conservation. We have a special protected area. We took, we have two areas that are protected under European law. Yeah. Now, how? Who can you tell me? Can anyone tell me how that is? possible. We are extremely disappointed that the EPA have ignored our concerns. Mm. Um, they, they themselves admitted back in 2000, 2001, 2002 that this North Channel cannot take any more nutrients. Yeah. Or more just to explain to, to listeners who wouldn't be familiar with the area mm. and, and it was like, look, you know what the, the worry of locals and indeed Eddie English who probably knows more about how the waters move around that part of the world than anybody else. Correct. It's because the water doesn't move much. That's right. If you put so, this stuff out into the open sea, nobody would have a bother right. about it. And bear in mind that Mogili itself, the cheese factory itself, is only 10 kilometres from the open sea. Yeah. However, they have built a 14 kilometre pipeline to wash this stuff out into a place which is quite stagnant. Yeah. We, we know this because of scientific evidence and fact. Yeah. But we also know it because the likes of Eddie English or the likes of um, uh, David Fitzgerald, who lives who's lived in the area for up to you know lo- up to locals who know the water locals very very know about water. We know from living there that we have tides that come and go. However, we know ourselves if we lose a boat in a storm, if we, for example, sadly we have lost bodies down through the years, you know, through tragedies. Um, the what happens is um, the 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 boats always, always come back. With the tides, they get washed out a little and back again. Yeah. It has been scientifically proven that anything that is released at that point, at that specific point, stays there. Comes, comes back and stays. Now, to be yeah. fair, I suppose Dairy Gold have, have done their science as well. They issued a statement. <laughs> and now I, I, I scanned the, the two pages of the statement for, for a reference to the, to the water. And the only thing they say is the investment in technology is the most advanced available, both for cheese making and for the treatment of waste water. Dairy Gold and Tyne, that's the Norwegian company, are committed to adhering to the most stringent environmental standards as set down by the EPA. So they say, look, we've done our homework and we'll do this properly. That's, that's what they say in their statement. Lovely, lovely, lovely piece of writing there. None of it true. Well, how do you know that now, to be fair? We know that because of studies that were carried out in NUI Galway, specific studies that show through facts, facts and, evidence, and evidence, scientific evidence that what is released there stays there. It stays there for up to 70 days because the area... Uh, yeah, no, no, I think to be fair though, Debbie, they, they, they are referring 
they are referring to the way they treat their 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 wash. They're not referring yeah. to the water. They're referring to the way they treat their wash and and how how safe it will be to dispose of it. Certainly. Um, they, for example, what's interesting is they must heat, you can imagine, um, fats, oils and grease in order for those to travel through a 14 uh, kilometre pipeline. You know, those, those will be heated. OK, that wash will have to be heated. Well, there and are also might, things they treat them with. There would be emulsifiers and things they treat them with that would break correct. them up, like you would put in your correct. normal washing up liquid. So, you know, that's... Correct. Yes. Can you imagine putting that sort of, that, that sort of chemical into a protected zone, yeah. an area where you have protected species, you have the home and habitat of many protected species who yeah. are, by the way, protected under EU law. Yeah. Dairy Gold have come up with lovely fancy um, um, uh, you know, um, lines for us to read, as you did so, so nicely there. None of it true. Well, yeah, we I, I'd, 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 I'd hasten not to accuse them of, of telling untruth now, Debbie. It's, well, it's, it's based question. on, I know you would, but it's based on their scientific evidence. Yours is based on yours. How's that? Correct. We we know as locals, we are not um, we we are not silly. Mm-hmm. We were not born yesterday. Um, Dairy Gold did not consult with us. They did not take. Did us you meet them at all? No. Into they met us on a last minute whim. And um, they argued with us. They argued their points with us. They were incredibly disrespectful to us. They did not consult that with was the community. Your interpretation of that, I guess. You know. Many people's interpretation. Yeah. Many. We are very distressed, as you can as you can hear, and depressed by this outcome. Yeah. However, PJ, we is there is there just very quickly before is there a mm. is there an option to appeal the granting of the license? Absolutely. We have many options ahead of us and we're going to be extremely busy regrouping now okay. and looking at how we will uh, fight this to the So, so in other words, th- there won't be a gallon of water flowing out of that for a while to come yet? Well, it would be f- what they're proposing is four million. Oh, I know. Um, per, 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 but you're, you're going to start an appeals process against it. Uh, we may do. We need to regroup. We need to get together as a community with our legal team, and we need to look at options. All right. Okay. Leave it there, Debbie. And you know what? We'll always stay in contact with you. A regard to that, Debbie Hayes from Protect East Ferry Waters. I mentioned this man's name in passing a moment or two ago, and I remember saying at the time, uh, if any English is concerned, but the water. I'm concerned about the water. What do you make of the awarding of the licence, Eddie? Good morning. Well, let's go back to the start, PJ, because um, Mogili, the nearest part of the sea to Mogili is due south of Mogili. So the logical way to have brought effluent into the Atlantic would have been to go due south. Yeah. But instead it's gone west and joins into the Middleton sewage scheme and is discharged into Cork Harbour. Now, Debbie has explained to you a lot about East Ferry and the area. It's the area where I work. It is the most beautiful area in Cork Harbour. No commercial traffic. It's tree-lined valley with beautiful water in it. The river Onacora flowing in there. Um, It is absolutely fantastic part of the harbour. It's bad enough having anything from Middleton sewage scheme flowing in there. But to add more to it is, is ridiculous. And Debbie explained about boats drifting in and out. And there is no way that the tide will clear all the effluent out of that. 
and it's seven miles to Roaches Point. And why they choose a route um, that is 20% longer than the route to due south yeah. totally beggars. Because if they, if they took it due south, or took it to Roaches Point, it would wash away harmlessly. Mother Nature would do her job and it would wash out harmlessly to the open sea, correct? Well, they would have to put a pipe out into the sea. And I think possibly therein lies the problem because they'd have to build a diffuser with it. So I think the option of going due south would have been more expensive than the option of going west. And, uh, you know, the county council would have been very involved in this and the county council would have given them advice. And I'm, I'm shocked and surprised because we've got protected areas to the north of the Great Island. Um, East Ferry is only one part of the area. Ratcorsey is the townland where this effluent is going to be discharged. And, you know, I can guarantee you that it won't all wash out of Cork Harbour. At a time when we're trying to clean up the harbour, as you know, there's a huge work going on in the town of Cove for the last over a year, Monkstown, uh, Shanbally, all that area, and all the sewage is being treated. And, you know, why why put more effluent into the harbour? It's just absolutely beyond me. When the Atlantic Ocean can do a wash-away job and it's closer to Mogili than mm. the harbour is. I suppose the EPA would say that in awarding licences, they take all of the various contributions from all of the stakeholders into account. They look at the science, they look at the environmental impact, they look at all that, and then they make their decisions. So they would say they've made their decision based on the evidence available. Well, quite possibly, yes. But, <laughs> you know, a big company like Dairy Gold can afford to spend time and money uh, on coming up with their side of the argument, whereas you've got voluntary groups and locals like Debbie Hayes and company, you know, who don't have the same resources as Dairy Gold. So who's going to win that argument? Yeah, it is fair. Eddie, leave it there for now. Thanks, as always. That's Eddie English uh, from Sail Cork and based. His sailing school is based in, in East Ferry. And, and yes, it is. If you don't know it, if you don't know East Ferry, go down there on a summer's day and find me a more beautiful place. Not just in County Cork, but in, in most of Ireland. It's gorgeous. It's just gorgeous down there. And have a have a quiet pint and a nine euro meal, of course. <laughs> and have a quiet pint and look out at the water and look out at the tranquility of it all. It's gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. 1850 I've no doubt that's not one that's going to go away. Just as a follow-on from my conversation with Neil Michael about COH, we have had a very disturbing phone call uh, to the opinion line, 1850-715-996. A disturbing phone call about allegations of another attack on a woman by a man at COH last Christmas. We're making inquiries with the guy, the press, and with the hospital. Now, currently, guy, the press, say they have no records. Uh, we're trying to uh, get more information on this but this has come to us organically as a result of us speaking this morning with uh, Neil Michael so we'll follow that one, there's a few more messages coming in as well, we asked people like this policy change that the CUH was supposed to implement was told to implement by Judge Sean O'Donovan in the Circuit Criminal Court does either it, what well, they say it has happened, but we can see no evidence of what has happened. Neil Michael has been unable to get anything uh, by way of what's written, writing, 
about what's happened. So we, we don't know. We just do not know. 1850-715-996. Now, yesterday, that story broke from Dublin. Oh, it was quick. It didn't take long. The story broke from Dublin about a school where a class had been sent home uh, because one of the pupils had tested positive for COVID-19. And look, this is going to happen. And everyone is saying this is going to happen. For the most part, children won't suffer anything serious with this. If they go home and they just isolate and everyone does what they're told to do by public health, then it'll be okay. But the problem there is, well, what about the working parents who have children in that class? Certain issues arise for them. And then we had this email to opinion at 96mem.ie from someone wanting us to look into the employment law side of things. Hi PJ, can you get some guidance or advice for the following? We had a meeting in work last week where we were told not to come to work if we have so much as a sniffle or cough coming into and during the winter. We were told we won't get paid and in my workplace we work off levels. So if we're out sick we go up a level and this will still be the case. I'm not quite sure what that means, but obviously it'll, if it happens in your workplace, you'll be familiar. If we're out a second time, we go up another level. A third time, you get called up to HR. It affects our bonus and stuff at the end of the year. This is going to be very disastrous and very dangerous, says our correspondent, because people are going to get colds and flu as a matter of course during the winter. I often, says the writer, have a persistent head cold all winter. I get the flu jab every year. My point is, he says, people won't want to be down wages. They will try to hide a cough or a sniffle. And they could also be hiding the virus, not knowing that they have it. And that person wants us to know what are your rights. We'll check them out next. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Junction, Vickers Road, Supermarket, Solid Fuel Depot and a self-service laundrette. Your one stop for everything. Cork's 96FM is now streaming even more music choice. More music choice. Check out the Hit Mix Online for fresh new music. Keep on dancing like you ain't got a choice. And stream the all-new Fit Mix for your workout. <laughs> Listen on your phone and smart speaker. Turn up the volume. Or go, go, go to 96fm.ie. This is Court's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Court's 96fm. It is one of the big worries of people as we attempt to go back to work, at least leave working from home and go back into offices, and as the children go back into schools. It is one of people's worries. Well, what happens if I get COVID, or what happens if I think I might have COVID, and I have to go home and isolate for a couple of days? Who's going to pay me? Am I entitled to get paid if I'm going for a test and having to isolate to get the results? of a test and, and many other things like that like that message we got about the guy who if who you know if you get a cold or a sniff a sniffle he's been told don't come into work and then they get penalized for it for doing the right thing that and more questions i want to put to john boylan of bdm boylan john good morning good morning pj it's a, it's a complex one isn't it because we're you know this thing can display itself as a as, as a harmless cold and many a harmless cold 
people will go home, isolate, get a test and find only was a harmless cold. Who's going to pay them for the couple of days they were out? Well, PJ, there, there are many, many queries about this at the moment. There's a huge upsurge um, because there's a lot of uncertainty out there. But there's some basic uh, things. One is that in Ireland at the moment, even though there's a lot of the opposition are saying it should change, there is no entitlement to sick pay if you're out sick. Um, uh, that the only way that's different is if it's in your contract that you're entitled to sick pay. Uh, otherwise, you're not entitled to it. So that's where there's a big divergence between the public sector and the private sector. The public sector have sick pay in their contracts. Uh, smaller organisations, they tend not to. Um, the problem is in, 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 the, in, the, in, the, in the query you have, uh, you're either sick or you're not. Uh, it's not up to the employer to decide to go home, that you should go home because you're sick or you're sniffling or whatever. It's up to a doctor. So it's only a HSE doctor or a GP or the person's own doctor can decide whether somebody is sick or not. If they're sick, they're certified as being out of work. They're not able to work. Um, but we, we, we can't have a situation where employers are deciding, and it would be very dangerous if that comes in, that they're deciding that uh, people are sick when they're not. A sniffle is not sick. Yeah. Um, and uh, they, 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 the relationship, as you know well, PJ, between an employer and employee is a relationship, and there should be communication back. I'm not talking about policies, but policies and walls are all fine, but there should be town hall meetings at work, there should be verbals between management and the employees, and constant discussion among their departments as regards the best uh, for the company, but mm. also the best for individuals. I suppose you could see how uh, a company management might be worried, John, if, if someone on a, a shop floor or a factory floor is coughing. Like, I, well, that, that, that's that, the problem. That, that I totally agree. And, and they would be worried for the company and for other employees, but they also have to be worried for the individual involved. So what they're going to have to do there, PJ, and good management would dictate this, they're going to have to take the person aside and say, look, on a once-off basis, please go home for the safety of all the staff here. And, in, 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 on you, and, and even though you're not normally entitled to sick pay, we're going to pay it. Um, and, you know, th- you can't expect the person just to be sent home when they're not sick for the benefit of everybody and not be paid. So the query by the person who sent in the email to you, which your researcher sent on to me, uh, they, he should be paid. And he should not be penalised in relation to his bonus, and he should not be penalised in relation to promotion or the different levels he's at. He's doing something in the interest of the company and in the interest of the safety of his fellow employees. That should be recognised, and in those circumstances, as a a one-off, if there isn't normally entitled to sick pay, he he should be be paid and continue to be paid. It would be totally unfair and unreasonable if if he wasn't. Is it possible were government to do it, to, to legislate in such a way that if it's a thing that someone has to go and get a symptom investigated and get a test, an actual proper uh, COVID test, that they could get a, a doctor's letter or something that would guarantee they'd be paid for that period of time? Uh, yes, is the answer. And there's a gap in the law at the moment and the government needs to look at it very quickly, uh, the Labour Party and the Sinn Féin are putting pressure on them to do so in these circumstances where people are sent home and they're not sick in the old-fashioned way, they will have to be covered for finances. Um, it's, you know, it, it, it would be totally unfair otherwise. Uh, it's in the interest of society as well as in, in the interest of the employer and definitely there's a lacuna there, a gap there, it has to be filled and the quicker legislation is brought in, 
to fill that gap and to make sure people aren't penalised for doing things in the interest of society to prevent the spread of COVID, the better. What about working parents, John? And, and that particularly came to mind yesterday. With the, and it was inevitable that, that a class like that would be, would be sent home uh, on, as a precaution. No, that's fine. That's a precaution. That's the school doing, doing the best in the interest of public health. But again, what about the... The, the parents, many of them are working oh, and yeah. little Johnny's at home today and mum can't go to work. The employees who are, who are suffering the most in relation to this COVID are people, but we can see it all the time, we have some people here who have young kids and kids in school, school, and, go, school and in particular when both parents are working. Uh, so again, support has to be given there. In relation to that school, I was surprised that the pod only wasn't sent home um, because, you know, the, 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 the reason for doing pods in the classroom was that there were pods of six, I think yeah. it was. And there was only one child sick. So I'm surprised the school took the decision to send the whole class home. I think it was probably a bit unfair to all the other parents and mm. the other pods. Maybe, I, maybe a slight overreaction. But uh, even if you did send home the whole pod, you could have somebody in that position. Oh, absolutely. You, in, in, in the scheme of things, you definitely have. And I think, I think in a situation like that, it comes down to good management and the good management of parents who have to fly off home to collect their child in an emergency. Uh, there's a thing called force majeure in employment law. When there's an emergency situation, it normally lasts a day or two. You're definitely not docked for pay for that. However, if the child has happened in this case in the school, PJ, had to isolate for two weeks, the management should say, find out the facts. And if they find out that, they're one, of the, that one of their valued employees is, is one of the parents who had to collect that child and has to stay at home with them for two weeks, well, they should be paid. And at the mo- again, that's where the lacuna is. That's where the gap is. When people are financially being penalised by virtue of preve- uh, prevention of COVID mm. in the employment place, it's, it, it's wrong. And there is a gap there and the government needs to move very quickly to uh, fill that gap. Because what could happen, John, I'm sure, is that some person who, and there are many employers out there, you know, you don't come in, you don't get paid. So a person will be, and we've already heard of it anecdotally in places like meat factories, people Mm -hmm. loading up on paracetamol at seven o'clock in the morning to take down their temperature and God knows what damage they're doing when they come into work. Well, the Troika, when they came in, to, when, when, when we were financially bankrupt, uh, when the Troika came in, one of the things they couldn't understand was that point. They said that they couldn't understand there were so many employments had no sick pay when somebody was out sick. And it was for that reason that well, there's various th- uh, thoughts on it. I mean, from an employer's point of view, it certainly reduces absenteeism. But from an employee's point of view, you make a very good point, PJ, that in the meat plants and stuff, if somebody isn't going to go paid when they're not physically there, they are going to when they have financial uh, pressure and they have families to keep, they're going to, as you say, well, very well, that Panadol and put stuff into them and they're not going to let on that they're ill because they're not going to be paid a cent while they're out work. Now, they will get ill, as long as they paid PRSI, which most people do today, they will get uh, illness benefit, obviously. After, um, after a few days. After a few days. And, 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 and it, you know, so basically it would be better, you know, knowledge is everything. And they should Actually, a quick again. question on that one, John, seeing as, seeing as it came up. Back in the start of this, Regina Doherty, who was minister at the time, made a, a, a twist or made a change in the legislation that you got that welfare payment immediately. Is that still there? That, that's still there, and you do get it immediately, and that was a very good change, because this waiting around was, was terrible. They also made a change, PJ, which was a very good change, that when the people in the lockdown were laid off for 
four weeks. After four weeks, they couldn't insist that they were made redundant to employers by, by employers. That has now been put back to the 17th of September, and that needs to be looked at as well now, because if people are laid off and after the 17th of September, if things aren't changed again, they will be entitled to redundancy. Um, and that needs to be, as I say, addressed. Now, the, the government addressed that and they addressed, they addressed the COVID payment and they addressed other things. They now need to address very badly when people, as a result of COVID, for whatever circumstances, have to leave the workplace, PJ, what financial um, stuff are they going to get? For example, you, you, you won't, like at the moment, you won't get um, COVID payments for lots of things because you're not ill. Uh, sorry, you won't get illness benefit because uh, you're not ill in, in circumstances at the moment. So uh, the whole area needs to be um, clearly looked at by the government to make sure that parents, in particular of young ch- school-going children, are not, um, are not financially uh, uh, you know, put, put out by yeah. virtue of... Because otherwise it's not going to affect. They can't pay mortgages. They can't pay school books. They can't pay food. It, it, it would be totally unfair. The, the, the law should never allow you, John, should it? It should never allow you to be penalised for doing the right thing. Absolutely. In a nutshell, that's exactly it. And that's where the government have to come along. That The example yesterday with the school of all those people, all those uh, pupils, they had to be collected. Parents had to jump in the workplace, tell their manager, I'm really sorry, my, my child has been sent home. Uh, it's different now, PJ, because normally, as I said a while ago, uh, if there was an emergency, it would take a day or two normally, and you would be paid for that. It's called force majeure. However, they have to isolate now for 14 days. And that makes it totally different. So that parent has to stay at home for 14 days. Then that leads to another issue. If the child is positive or if, if the employer is worried about the fact that by staying at home with the child, you could have picked up the virus and are you safe then to come back into the workplace, PJ? So there, there's a whole area of financial um, cover for parents in particular who are working in, the, in jobs for, 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 for the common good, as you call it. All right. Leave it there, John. Thank you very much. That's John Boylan from BDM Boylan. Uh, thanks, John. Pointing out um, that there are holes in the law now that the government need to address, that if you are feel yourself not well, it might well be just an ordinary cold or flu as we get the sniffles and the snuffles throughout the winter. It might be harmless. It might not. So you call your boss and you say, I, I can't come in because I've got a sore throat and a cough or a snotty nose or whatever. Uh, but until such time as there's law there to prevent you for... You know what I'm getting at. He said people are going to take a chance and go into work during this winter with a cough or a cold because there's no guarantee if they go for a COVID test they get paid while they're out. Needs to be changed. Are you listening, government? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Thank you to Joe Seward who tagged us in a Twitter post to remind us that today, 2nd of September, is the 30th anniversary of the first part of the Cork GAA double. 30 years ago today, they won the hurling against Galway and then went on to win the football against Meath and complete the double. The only team to ever have done it, the Cork Seniors, 
1990 football and hurling double. Thanks, Joe, for that little reminder. I knew it was this year. I knew it was this September. I just wasn't 100% certain of the dates. 1850-715-996. Text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696 and the email opinion at 96fm.ie. Uh, you can tweet at opinionline96. Remember, the hashtag is hashtag OL96. And the Cork's 96FM Facebook page, also at your disposal. Pop us a message and mark it, if you could, please, for the attention of the opinion. We're getting a big response to my conversation at the top of the show with Neil Michael from The Examiner about his ongoing search for answers from COH as to what exactly they've done about admissions policy and what exactly they've done about bed allocation policy since that court case uh, involving the man who sexually assaulted the young girl in 2018. We have had one or two horrendous accounts coming in uh, and we will get to them in the fullness of time. But one or two of them are really, they're, they're head melting stuff what stuff that, that people are telling us so we'll come back to that definitely will come back to that but uh, here's a, a Twitter post that, that caught our eye Hi everyone, my 16 year old daughter committed suicide 7 weeks ago Shauna Hickey as a tribute to her I'm taking 15 of her friends to a recording studio in Yall to record a song we chose Before You Go by Lewis Capaldi we're selling the CD to raise money, Ali is uh, Shauna's auntie. Ali, good morning to you. Good morning, how are you? And my condolences on the family's uh, loss. Um, Thank you. Tell, tell me a little bit about her. Um, Shauna was a lovely girl. She was 16 years old. She was very happy. She was hyper. She was always jumping around and fun. She had a real love for animals and music. And she was a really lovely young girl. And mm. she was always happy. You know, you'd never see... Yeah, that are there in the Facebook page. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful smile, beautiful, beautiful young girl. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the the recording. Why the recording? What's the the purpose of that? Um, it was a song that Shauna loved, and we had it at her graveside, and we used it for her month's mind celebration. And I think even the lyrics. I don't know. It just means so much to us all now, and all her friends were singing it, and my sister Mary Rose came up with the idea to record it. Yeah. Um, a lot of it was for just to keep the children busy and to have them something to focus on and then we realised there was so much support there that we could make it a lot more and we just want to make a difference and we don't ever want another family to feel like this again and if we can help anybody at all yeah, we, we'd really love to So you've decided to, to do it for charity? We did for Youth Suicide Prevention Ireland um, they go to schools and colleges to talk about self-harm and teen suicide and they also have um, a free text service um, you can just text help to 50015 yeah. and I think their big aim this year is to have a mobile youth crisis counselling service where they travel around to different schools and try and help Yeah. Will it, will it be a, a, an actual CD or a download? Um, we're going to do a CD <clears throat> um, I'm sure we could look into doing a download too but at the moment we have a CD Oh. And they're starting um, their practicing on Friday, right. so it's great for all the friends and family to. Yeah, it'll be something for them to come together on for her. And you, you have had sponsored cards out around Dungarvan, um, because obviously doing this, there's a cost involved. 
there is, yeah. There's the recording studios, there's the copyrights, there's singing lessons, there's a lot in it, but we've had great support so far and I've also set up a Facebook page this morning, um, Sean Hickey Sean Hickey Tribute C D, where there's a link to the GoFundMe if anyone wants to sponsor that can't get to a card or anything. And any is it's how is how is everybody doing? I suppose this is a project for them to to focus on now and and sort of put their efforts into and channel it. How are people doing? Um, I don't know. I'm a heart just I don't know. We're heartbroken. We're shocked. We just I don't think we can still believe it. Um, and we've always heard it. Another family, someone in their family committing suicide, and it always touched me because I think everyone kind of reaches a low mental state at some point. But I think when it comes to your own family, you really see the effect that it has. It's, I don't know, we're all heartbroken. Her poor mother, her sisters, her brothers. Um, it just touches everybody. It's sleepless nights, there's, you know, you're wondering why. You <clears throat> yeah, I know her mom is with you and, and not really too comfortable talking about it, which is to be understood and you're probably struggling a little bit yourself, yourself, Ali. But those are the questions yeah. you lie awake asking, isn't it? It is, yeah, and it really affects everybody. And um, I just didn't realise the effect it had. I always had a soft spot for that cause and for suicide awareness and everything. But I think it's really hit home now, and we just like to do as much as we can to help. Yeah. Have Have you got help? Is anybody minding her mom? Is anybody minding you? Yeah, we're all together. Um, my mother stays with me, and my niece moved back in with her mother to be there with her. And we're all kind of we're a very close family anyway, and we're all kind of there to help each other and. It's the hardest time I think we've ever faced. Yeah, yeah. That's the, 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 the kind of anyone I've ever spoken to. That there's kind of no words. No, you can't describe it. You can't. It's unbelievable, and even yeah. to believe that it's true, it just hits you again and again. You know what? Yeah. So the, the the plan is the rehearsals are starting. The recording is when. Um, we're hoping for the start of October. Okay. And okay. then we we had a sh- um. Lewis Cavalli's management team then reached out to us yesterday through Virgin Media, so that was a great kind of a boost. And Brilliant! I was just going to ask that does yeah, the, it was because great. the man himself, like by all accounts, he's an exceptionally nice fella. He is, yes, yes. You know, and he'd endorse it for you, and and the, the company are happy with you doing the song and stuff, are they? Yeah, delighted. He was very touched by it, and um, he should be in contact with my sister Mary Rose in the next few days himself. So it's great for her, and it's great motivation to keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that, that's lovely to hear, because he is, by all accounts, anyone who's ever met him, um, I, I haven't had the, the, the privilege myself yet, but by all accounts, anyone who's ever met him is an exceptionally lovely, down-to-earth guy who would be genuinely touched by this. Yeah, yeah. All right, okay. What a lovely song, isn't it? Really it's a beautiful music. song. It's a gorgeous song, and, and it was a song we played the living hell out of here on 96FM because people yeah. kept asking us, play it again, play it again, play it again. It's kind of an anthem, really. So, And, and the words of it, thinking back to the words of it, you know, it, it would certainly um, really be very be appropriate. Cause, yeah. Well, look, I wish you the best of luck. If there's anything that we can do to help along the way. We'll send you a copy anyway. You can. <laughs> do you know what? I'd really appreciate that. Send it to me. Send it yeah. to me. And, and, um, and you know what? We might even give it an old twist. That'd be great. <laughs> All right. Listen, Ali, congratulations. Please, on, on the recording and the plan, please um, convey my condolences again to the rest of the family. 
course. All right. Thanks and look after yourselves and we'll talk again. Thank you Take so care. much. Bye. Cheers. Bye bye. 1850 And that will be uh, out, they're hoping, in October. A cover version of Louis Capaldi's song, Before You Go, in memory of Shauna Hickey. And you heard that there. Sean, our. Um, Lewis's management quite happy and quite touched and he's quite moved that it's being done. 1850-715-996. Jessica says, just listening to the opinion line, 30th anniversary for Double Ireland wins for the men. Now, Tura PJ said no team had ever done that before in terms of the men's team only. But if he said no team had done it, just a heads up, the ladies football and Camogie did it in 2014. Do you know what, Jessica? You're absolutely right. And slap wristies I had actually forgotten that but it was the senior men's competition no one's ever done it since but of course the ladies uh, football and camogie did it only five years ago or six years ago thank you Jessica and that's my wrist slapped again 1850 Got another call, maybe explaining explained the whole COVID payment thing um, quite well. This texter uh, said during the village or during during the village during the wage subsidy period for COVID, we got the same pay as our usual tax paid net. We presumed our employer was holding the tax money on our behalf, but he wasn't. The only other explanation is he did not top them up. Now we have to pay back the subsidy tax. We feel this is wrong. Has it happened to anybody else? Definitely some people who got COVID and got wage subsidy are being hit with a tax bill that they didn't expect. 1850-715-996. I spoke a while ago now to James Leonard. And of course, James... Shot to fame through the, the Ray Darcy show on, or not the Ray Darcy show, the Tommy Tiernan show on television. And he spoke to me um, about the setting up of a podcast that he was planning to tell his story and other stories and enable people to talk more about the issues in his life. And it eventually became the Two Norries podcast, which has been a huge hit. And they've done, I think, 10 episodes and they're planning season two, big interviews uh, with influential people and done in a particularly nice and conversational way uh, and going, as sometimes only a podcast can go, going beyond where you kind of started and getting into very deep and personal and identifiable stuff. It's, it's going really well. You can follow it on the com. It's on Spotify and all the other platforms. But... Um, but James does the podcast with Timmy Long 
And uh, we're very grateful to our friends at the two at the Boys and Girls at Knocker Facebook for helping us to get in touch with uh, with Timmy. And uh, glad to say he's on the end of the phone for a chat now. Timmy, good morning. Hi, PJ. Uh, now, James James has his own story and, and he's told it, but your own story itself is 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 interesting and, and fascinating. There was a lot about it in the in the Echo recently. Um, your own your own early life was a bit chaotic to say the least. Yeah, um, it was uh, it was different. It was a little bit difficult, you know. Uh, we grew up with a single parent in the home, and there was a lot of mental health issues within the family home as well. So, um, uh, like growing up as a young child. It was um, it was quite difficult to learn how to, to become any form of adult or how to handle any kind of issues that came up in my teens and, and you know so it was a little bit difficult yeah so um, but that's where addiction then and uh, other things came in then mental health problems because you know when you're not able to deal with stuff that you don't understand. Yeah. Um, and the issues that come up, um, I kind of we we turned to substances and alcohol for that, just to kind of help us get through whatever emotional stuff was going. Is it going on Timmy? That like you know, sometimes as as children, we 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 turn to family to to learn how to deal with things, and we kind of learn how to be an adult from the adults around us. And and you didn't have that opportunity. Yeah, um, you know, looking back, um, there was myself and like two brothers as well. You know, um, from my own experience in life, and with my own mental health issues, I look back and and I look at my mother's state of being at the time. Like, um, you have like there was a lot of anger there for the time being and early recovery for myself. But as I kind of learned a little bit more as time went on. You know, you were able to have that bit of empathy and compassion for, for for my mother because I had more understanding around what um, like she had a nervous breakdown when I was three years of age. You know, she was a single parent at that stage, and you know, um, she like she was a young woman herself, and she really didn't understand how to how to be a parent and with her own issues that were going on at the time. I presume, like you know, she probably felt the loss. You know, so around that, you know, w- w- when I got myself sorted, um, eventually, and after seeing a lot of kind of counsellors and psychotherapists and psychologists along the way, I was able to understand my mother's issues a little bit more yeah. and have a little bit of compassion because in the family home growing up, there would have been a lot of, an awful, <coughs> excuse me, there would have been an awful lot of violence in the house, you know, and we learned uh, how to deal with issues through violence. You know, there was never a sit down and have a chat. It was, it was just, it, it was just violence. You know, um, and and that that was kind of brought into my own life then a little bit because that was the only way I understood to get what I wanted in life because I hadn't got an education. You know, I wasn't. Um, I went to school, to primary school. But I couldn't, uh, I hadn't got the, the, the attention span to be able mm. to sit down and, and listen and be able to do homework at home, you know, because when I was going home, I was going into 
a home where it, it, it was it wouldn't have been your normal home. Like yeah. I, I often went home, my mother would be she'd either be in bed or she could be sitting on the coat rocking up and down because she she was probably having a bad day, you know. Yeah. And I had two younger brothers as well, so they would have had to been looked after as well. Yeah. You say that, and you have said that you thought you'd be dead before thirty. Mm, Why? Yeah. Well, when you're living a life of of crime and addiction, you know you have actually no awareness around life. And I ha- I had no awareness. I had like the only thing I ever thought about was was alcohol, uh, drugs, gambling, and other issues that were going on in my life. I, I was never capable of thinking of anything else. Well, why did never... you just start the drugs? Blackout, the emotional pain that I was going through as a young child. What age was that, Tim? Well, I started using uh, substances like um, gas and tipex and glue in primary schools, let's say 11, 12. And from there, then going into secondary school, you know, you're introduced to harder drugs. Like at the time in, in Cork City, all you had really was hash. And say ecstasy in the nineties, you know, there would have been nothing other than that available. So um, we kind of and, and prescribed medication is a massive part of um, my my drug abuse as well. Yeah. So I started using them then when I was in secondary because you, you try to fit in, you want to fit into a certain group, and the group I fit into was 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 people had, that had similar kind of upbringings to me because. Our energy would have been the same. It was chaotic, you know, and mm-hmm. because uh, education wasn't on the agenda. It, it wasn't something that we were, we were in school to learn. We weren't there. We were just in there. We were just surviving, basically. We were we were just surviving from day to day with the hope that we'd get through there, like uh, unconsciously, you know, because back then as a teenager, I had absolutely no awareness because I was just basically surviving, you know? Yeah. You look back at it now, uh, do you wonder how you made it? And, do you know what, uh, PJ, you, you always have a belief, uh, well, this is the belief, I, I always had a belief that there was mo- there was there was potential there in me, you know, but I was never able to get the potential out because of my addiction to all these uh, substances and alcohol and my mental health issues as well. You know, and because when you're growing up and you live in a, a household where there's a lot of trauma, you know, um, I had a lot of trust issues, anxiety, depression, you know, it was very difficult for me to kind of retain relationships with friends and even with my wife at the beginning, I wasn't able to really kind of settle down or, or, or be responsible, you know, um, but as time, when I when I did get into recovery, eventually, um, through the work I was doing with, with, with um, uh, psychotherapists and psychologists and stuff, I was able to understand why um, I had these difficulties in my life. What age you know, were you when you met Nicole? I was about twenty-two. Um, she she was uh, she was about seventeen or eighteen at the time. She she lived a few doors up from my father's house. Um, we often have a slag about it. No, she's probably listening to this. But I always say that she stopped me for the the, the few years 
you know, but um, we became friends for a bit, and and from there on, we we, we kind of um, we got together, and she was with me then in the early years of of the madness, like when there was a lot of crime and and and, and drug dealing and and um, all sorts of chaotic stuff, stuff that really like you going back to what you said there earlier on. Um, not believing that I'd lived past 30, mm. that was, that was, like, when you're living a life like that, PJ, you really don't care whether you, you survive or not, like, because I could never see beyond that age because it really didn't bother me, you know, um, because I had no value on my own life and because of my, my childhood traumas and stuff like that, I'd lost all respect for the human race at the time and and for for human beings because like I remember being as a young really young child like and 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 abuse would have been so bad that like and suicide would have crossed my mind at the age of seven and eight years of age you know what I mean so um yeah but it's a a sad thing to say but there, there were the circumstances back then like and you know, so and in all the years of falling apart, and like you said, chaos and jail and crime and drugs and drink, she stuck it out. Well, yeah, she did. Do you ever think of the role she played in where you are now? Uh, well, uh, I'll get to that now. And her role would have been, um, without her role, there would be probably no Timmy, no, let's just say that. Because um, I, I had something, you know, I had something to fight for, you know, um, because I wasn't going to do it for myself because I had no self-respect for myself. I'd no, I'd no self-esteem or confidence. I'd no awareness to even know what was going on in my life, you know. And it was just, it came to a halt at one time, you know, something happened in my life and... Um, my kids were out of my life at the time and there was barren orders for me in the house because I was, uh, would have been violent with drinking me, you know, and, and abusive. And it was just, just like one, one night, uh, it just hit, it just, as you, as people say, like the, the shit hit the fan. Um, and I got this little bit of awareness around me and I was uh, just, it just told me, what are you doing? Like, how, how long, like, this can't keep going on. You you don't even see your kids. And so what I eventually done was I, I, I um, that was the last time I drank or used or, or gambled or any of the old behaviours. I cut them out of my life there. And that was nearly nine years ago now. Um, but it's been a long, long road, uh, PJ, in yeah. terms of uh, getting to where I am now. You know, a, a massive part of of my recovery was um, being able to sit with, with with the emotions and the feelings of, of 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 my past because I would have never known. Like when I when I went to treatment a few years ago, I went in for a month before I went to prison in 2012. I went into treatment in February and I went to prison in March. And I like I, it was just. I just, I couldn't, you know, I was just, I know it was time, you know, I just knew it was time yeah. and to, to get myself sorted. Um, unbeknown to myself, 
there was just this drive in me that just wanted me to keep moving forward, keep moving forward. And that's what I've done. Mm. So I started to educate myself. You talk about that, that, if you want, light bulb moment where, like you said yourself, the the, the you-know-what hit the fan and and Mm. you're there and you're thinking. I actually lost my train of thought there. I was fucking trying to think of it while we were having the chat. That's all right. That's all right. That's all right. Like that that particular moment. Yeah. Can you recall... I can. Um, I recall it really well. Um, I was back inside in the cell um, from for 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 being arrested again, um, uh, and the only thing that was going through my mind while I was in the cell, no, it was a it was a crazy night because I'd been um, there was a bit of an altercation with guards and scuffle, and there was a lot of pepper spray and stuff involved. I was completely, um, I was crazy, like. Um, you know, and, and you know, in fairness to the guards, they they done their best to kind of uh, to, to stop me from going crazy. But I was just it was mad. I was on a lot of drugs at the time and alcohol, and um, I remember being arrested and going into the cell and having a doctor inside in the in the cell with me to make sure I was all right because I was I was I was in a really really bad state. And I remember the thoughts going through my head of just, I, will they ever leave the cell so I can, um, I, I, I had drugs planked in my body at the time and I was just saying, will they ever leave the cell so I can I can go back using and get more drugs. So the minute they left the cell, I was up on the floor. I have to remember I was destroyed and pepper spray. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. I was sweating in my pores, the pepper spray. My body, you know, was in a lot of pain. And um, the only thing that was going through my mind was drugs. Uh, and I was crawling around the, the cell floor. And the floor was grey, I remember very, very well, because it, 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 was, the, it was that one time that I had this, this real strong sense of awareness. And that's, that was the night that changed my life. So I was trying to pick up white pieces of, of of blotches of paint on the floor of the cell, thinking that there 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 were bits of drugs, uh, you know. And I just had this kind of overwhelming. 
strong kind of like bolt of lighting as I say it, it just it was just like a light bulb just lit up in my head and mm. just said what, what are you doing with that what? one little tiny voice in yeah, your head yeah. that said Jesus yeah, man yeah. what yeah. are you doing like your kids are at home it's Christmas you haven't seen them you know you're, you're going to prison you know what? like how long is this going to go like and and that was it for me. Do you that know where that message came from? Do you ever think where did that? No, message... I, I do. No, no. Back then, I just, I just took it for what it was because I didn't understand it. But no, I do. No, I know it was just it was my true self. You know, it was just after breaking through the madness that was going on for me, and it was just it just got that off and it was the right time for it to, to, to word itself, to, 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 to voice yeah. what was going on. It was the exact time because I, I was ready then, you know, because I yeah. was on my own, I was after breaking all the, the bonds, relationship I had with, with, with everybody that was in my life. You know, I was lonely. I was very lonely and that was a very, very strong and um, King for me as well to, to, to get my act together and um, that real lonely feel walking the streets knowing that nobody like you, you'd know on the phone because nobody actually would answer the phone or nobody wanted you at the time because you have to hurt on everybody around you maybe not physically but emotionally and break broken promises and all these different things and um, you know that was the night then that my life changed like and from there on I, I didn't use or drink or gamble again, but it took a bit of time then for my behaviours to stop. You know, I would have been very hot-headed and stuff, and it just took a lot of time. And through meditation, I was able to um, bring myself back a little bit and, and, and calm down. You know, that there's still there, there'll, there'll always be that little bit of fire that you have. You know, it, yeah. it, it was what protected me. In maybe the early maybe days it was life. that that gave you the strength to turn around. Possibly, possibly PJ, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, but, you know, today my, my life is, is on the 360. And yeah, I'm fascinated by it. You you went back then and you continued the education that you said you didn't have and mm-hmm. you went and you you qualified as a carpenter, correct? i tell you what happened. No, when I went to prison... In, in 2012, in March, I, I went straight into the education system in the prison, and I went straight into the to, to put my name down for um, a psychologist just to see someone because I knew there was I wasn't well, and um, and I just kept going and I done the equivalent of the junior cert because I didn't do it when I was out, you know, yeah. um, and I just kept moving with the FETAC level three and the level four, and then I done one subject in the leaving cert, I done history. You know, I just needed to keep proving to myself that I was I, I could do these things, um, and I just kept moving forward. You know, and I picked up a bit of other hobbies in there as well. Uh, wood carving and meditation was introduced to me in prison by my psychologist, and and that was there. I could see PG. I couldn't sit still. You know, if if I was sitting in your company back then, my two legs would be hopping, literally hopping off the floor. And I wouldn't be able to sit and have a conversation with you because if, if you were talking to me, I'd be, I'd be somewhere else. You know, there was no awareness there. And what you were know, you thinking of when you were pacing up and down like that? I'd be thinking about getting out of your company and going to use, right. or going to gamble, or, 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 or something. Every, like, everything you know. was focused on the next fix. 
everything is focused on something to take Timmy away from Timmy, you know. Um, you put that brilliantly, actually. Yeah. But that's just, that's exactly how it was. I, there I were two Timmys, though, weren't there? There was one in control and one trying to gain control. Yeah, and for... But the one that... The, the one that was in control, PJ, for, for, for most of my life, from my early teens and even probably even younger... Was was the Timmy that saved me? It just it, it saved me okay. throughout those years. You know, it just built, built up this kind of demeanor and mechanism for being able to deal with people to get me through everything that came my way in life. Okay. You know? I want to take a commercial break, if you wouldn't mind, Timmy, and I, I will talk a little bit about you know coming back from that rock bottom moment and mm. and, and the podcast and and why it means so much to yourself and, and to James now, and why you think it's gone so well. So just stay with me for a minute. I'm talking to Timmy Long, one half of the Two Norries podcast. Fascinating story, and there's more to tell. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Junction, Vickers Road, Supermarket, Solid Fuel Depot, and a self-service laundrette. Your one stop for everything. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Triscoll Christchurch has free musical events coming up in September, beginning at lunchtime on Saturday the 19th, with the Lear Quartet performing a programme of Beethoven. This is followed by two concerts by Ye Vagabonds and Cormac Bedley that evening, while on the following Saturday, September 26th, Emma Langford is set to play. Tickets for these concerts are on sale now. Access all areas. Cork Trio Happy Alone will be one of the first live shows back at Cypress Avenue with a gig lined up for Thursday, September 17th. Tickets are now on sale for what should be a cracking show from cypressavenue.ie. Access All Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie. Access All Areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 9696. On Cork's 96FM. Speaking with Timmy Long from the Two Norries podcast. So, Timmy, what was it? Was it why you were in jail um, for after 2012 that your mom died? Was it? Yeah, um, we, myself and Thomas were nine months into our sentence, and um, your brother, um, you yeah, were both there, yeah, yeah, and um, that's when the it was the third of December two thousand twelve. It was the day after her birthday, um, and uh, we just got, I got a knock on the cell door the next morning about nine o'clock, and it, that would have been the the fourth, and they came in just to tell me that my mother was after passing away. Right. How long has it been since you'd seen her? Um, it's been nine months. I didn't see her while I was in prison. Mm. You know, Had while you, I was in. Were you still in contact with her before that? There wasn't very much contact because um, I was going through a lot with a psychotherapist at the moment and at the time of of, of her death, and it was advised that I um just kind of tried to get through what, what we were going through at the time but I spoke to her the night before it was her birthday we were on the phone in the landing myself and Thomas we were just chatting to her 
Mm. You know, I was after writing a letter as well, and I just wrote to her, just asking her to, to get a bit of help. And she was after writing back to me, telling me that she was um, she was seeing a counsellor, you know, to deal with her own issues that she had in her own life, you know. And that made me so happy, and that gave me a bit of a bit of hope of of having a good relationship with my mother. Then, when when I did get out, yeah. but uh, unfortunately, she was after taking her own life then by that stage. Yeah. That's something that could have thrown you right off your path, couldn't it? Definitely, yeah. But Definitely. it didn't. Why? Why didn't it? Do you like? Do you think? I had two young kids and a wife from home that 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 needed me. You know, no matter what was going on in my life, I would have thought probably crossed my mind back then. You know, but something stronger than me just kept me going at the time. It just gave me the power. You know, I had some good people as well. You know on the landing in the prison that were very very good to me and there were people that I could go go to and, yeah. and talk to and, and know that I was going to get a really honest answer mm. you know something that I needed and I always listened to somebody like that there's no place for bullshit in a prison is there there's not um, PJ you know no, there's not um, when you go to prison it's, it's up to you what way you want to go you know and all I wanted to do was was which changed my life and just try to be there for my wife and for my kids something that I wouldn't have been um, before prison you know yeah. because you mentioned I hadn't got to something stronger do you know what the something stronger was? And um, no, I, I wouldn't be very religious in terms of I don't go to mass and stuff but I've a really strong belief in a power stronger than me and and sometimes I believe that that power is within within us when we can look beyond the materialistic world that we live in today, and we kind of just bring ourselves back. You know, I always I believe it's it's all internal. It's it's there within me. You know, um, so I believe it's 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 in me. It's in me. It's just sometimes I need to really get beyond my own ego and everything else that's going on for me to be able to leave that path out and get the real honest answers and the information that I really need to yeah. to move forward in my own life, you know. Before the break, you were you were suggesting to me that in actual fact it was, in one way, it was the crazy that saved you. Yeah, you know, and, you know, when, you're grown, when you grow up in, in an area that... You know, like where I grew up, right, I grew up in Holly Hill in Arcullen. Mm. It was fantastic, fantastic area, PJ, right? The neighbours up there were my family, basically. You know, they were very, very good to me, my mum. You know, I have a few neighbours in particular that were, they were there for me growing up. And I have a lot of contact with those people still today. And I, I love them dearly because... You know, it was their input in my life as a young child that got me through a lot of difficult situations, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but growing up as young kids, PJ, our role models would have been fellas that were respected by the community that had been to prison. You know, fellas that were, were selling drugs and they had money. Like, I, we had nothing. We had, we'd have to, we had nothing. You know, and for me to see somebody that also had nothing, but now they're walking around in the best runners, our track suits at the time, I would have been a teenager, and cars, you know, and 
like me not knowing then that I can get anything like this through education because I I could barely read or write at the time, you know. Um so you there's one one thing you're gonna do, like and you're gonna you're gonna test things and you're gonna do this and you're gonna do that. You know, and, and that's where the, the drugs kinda of came into my life then. You know, I was addicted to them as well and and, and it was a good way to feed my habit, you know, yeah. so um you know, um, if you know, listen, some of the best people in this city are are, are from Churchfield, and um, that I know, right? Churchfield, Knoxbehini, Arcullen, Holly Hill. You know, it's just they'll always say hello to you. You know, yeah. like the amount of people that came up to me after the podcast that knew me, um, from before and how. How different I was, violent. There, I had this angry demeanor, kind of just to kind of stay away. That came up and just said, "You know what?" To me, fair play. That was fantastic for me. That yeah. was a great. Like, how how did it come about? Because remember talking to James about it, and he had yeah. this podcast idea. How did you become involved in that? Then, how did it all get off the ground? Well, myself and James were, na- were neighbors growing up. Keith, James's brother, would have been a, a very close friend of mine growing up, and we went to school together. And James would have been younger then, and James would have been uh, my brother Thomas's um, age. Between Thomas and John Paul, my other brother, they would have been the same age. And myself and James, we got into recovery around the same time. Um, And I was doing community service in the orthopedic, and so was James at the time. And you know what? It was great to have somebody like James with me over there doing the community service because we were able to talk about what issues was going on for us at the time in early recovery and you know we got each other through the community service and you know but we were always we grew up together we were always kind of in, in groups together growing up but from there in we just started going for cups of tea and coffee in different occasions and um, we kept we, we kept in contact and when James was brave enough to go on the Tommy Tierney show then it's quite like the response from that then from people that really needed help that were suffering with addiction and mental health problems was was, was quite a lot and we were down in his place one day um, and we had a chat and I just mentioned the podcast and do you know what that could be a great way to get the message out there and yeah. show people that there's actually a way back from from mental health issues and, and addiction problems yeah. and it doesn't have to be the way it is. Because the great thing about a podcast is that you can focus on one issue, you can talk about it for as long as you want, there's no well there's a basic agenda but there's no format, there's no ad breaks, there's no mm. no producer sitting outside a window going do this, do that it, it, it just generates it's, its own freedom exactly yeah it's it's real you know um, and and the guests we've had in the last 10 episodes now the first four were myself and James we just given our own stories but the rest of the guests, guests they were very relevant in terms of they, they brought the issues that they spoke about were things that went on from for me and my own story and James's story you know but in season two now We've had a lot of feedback, and, and people really need to hear the inspirational stories, other stories, like of people that have overcome eating disorders and people that have can't overcome their own adversities in, in life, like mental health and 
drug and alcohol addictions and gambling addictions. We're hoping to have more people on like that, you know, Good. because people need to, to hear these stories, you know, because it's the one it, that's the thing that will give them the little nudge over the line just to, to make that bit of an effort to get a bit of help, you know, and 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 and, and change their own life for the better. Yeah, there's probably people listening right now, uh, Timmy, you know, who are struggling themselves. Uh, We just had a a message in from uh, a caller, uh, very worried about uh, her own partner. Now, he has left the family home dealing with addiction and all that, but it's affecting her son. It's affecting him. It's affecting every element of her son and her lives. And she's so worried about her son following the partner down that road and she's you know she'd love to talk to you or anyone concerned with yeah. what she does like pe- people have started to come forward to yourself and James asking you to address things in the podcast haven't they yes and we will we, we took all that on board we took all the feedback on board and we've been on to people that have gone through these different situations in life and they're very willing to come on to the podcast and share their experience and it will give people that are suffering from whatever issues these are um, a, a bit of a route or a road to go down to change their own lives or to get a family member help. You know, but when somebody has a problem with, with whatever is any form of addiction or mental health issue, you no, know, mental health is different. But when it comes, to, well, it's not different in a sense because like it, it's mental health issues drive people to addiction. It's my experience anyway, but um, uh, we're hoping to have people on just to talk about all these different um, different areas and they'll be able to help people massively, you know, because um, my own experience is around gambling, alcohol, drugs, and, and we could even go as far as just you know, binge eating and things like that. Mm. But um, the guests we'll be having on in season two will be able to help an awful lot of people that are are really struggling. And if someone has an issue and they wanted to contact me or James, like there's we have there's a Twitter, there's a two Norris, uh, uh Instagram page and Twitter page as well. I think. Yeah, and there's a website, the Two Podcast dot com. Yes. Did Did yes. you think when you sat down to record the first one mm-hmm. that you'd be looking at series two and and that it would take off like it has? Um, do you know what? I was just trying to get over my own kind of self-esteem issues at the time <laughs> and get through my first two podcasts because I didn't know what way I was going to be reacted to by the people, by the people in the Were community. Were you afraid to when you sat them first? I had, to, I had to kind of overcome that fear, PJ, and look at the broader picture and, and see how my story would would help other people you know there's always going to be fear there and you're going to be anxious and not, all these different things all these different feelings and stuff but there was just like going back to saying what we were talking about well goes there was something inside me there was just something inside me just telling me just keep going just keep doing this like it's going to help a lot of people you know it was never for my own reasons and the same with James we never done this to, to be famous or, or to be public figures, right? Yeah. We've done this to, to really give back to the community and show people that people can change. 
Was it because you both... Sorry to cut across you. Was it because you both, like you described very clearly, that moment in the cell Mm. where something clicked? And and James also kind of had his moment where something clicked. Mm. Is part of what you do, Tim, to say to anybody who's going through stuff, it's within you, it'll come? It's always within you, right? And there's a lot of young people as well have been in contact with us, you know, and and they're taught around giving up alcohol or substances at a young age is that they'll they'll have no life. And and this is my own experience as well because, like, I went to treatment at the age of 15 and my first treatment centre and then I went into another treatment centre a little bit after that for over two years. So I was in treatment for for most of my teens and when I came out of treatment like my thoughts were coming back in oh you're too young you're only you're only 18 now you know you've loads of time give it another few years you know but that few years it's that gap them few years there they will cause an awful lot of damage to your mental health or some people you know what it's unfortunate a lot of people probably don't make it through those few years something happens and they might end up in prison or they might end up dead. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's the sad part of it, you know, and, and, and I'm fortunate and so is James that we were able to come through all that madness in between, mm-hmm. uh, you know, f- from when we started to where we, the where li- we stopped. The lives you, know? you both have now where you're both happy and well and content. Did you, yeah. did you think... You said to me earlier, and to wrap up, you said you thought you'd be dead by 30. Mm -hmm. Did you ever think that you'd be as settled and happy as I think you are now? No, no, never, never, never crossed my mind. And what's the message from that? Um, The message, PJ, is that anyone can do it. Somebody, Somebody like me could do this. Like, there's no, and I say this constantly, you know, there's no such thing as someone that's hopeless, you know, in, in any form of life. Anybody can get this. They just, it just has to be put in there. They have to have the right people. You know, it's there for people if they really want it, you know. But some people have to hit their rock bottom, like I did, and, and, and like James did, and, and like a lot of other people did. And, you uh, have to hit that place where you're on your own, no, you know, you're lonely. There's no, there's no doors open for you anymore because you're after hurting everybody around you. And, and that's no a, that's a horrible place. You wouldn't wish it on anybody. But at the same time, it was the start of the of the recovery for you. Finally, Timmy, if there were people listening who are in a situation like you found yourself anywhere along yeah. the road, where do they start going for help, or where who would you recommend, and what would you recommend? I began was was in air, and because it, it just got me through your years of of um, it just it showed me a, a little bit about alcoholism and addiction and stuff, and I was able to understand it to an extent. But the most important part for me in my own recovery was getting help outside of air, seeing people like uh, counsellors and psychologists and and. Um, psychotherapists and stuff and they're the people I saw in, in the first six years of my recovery and, and I got the understanding 
of my own issues from from those. But um, I'd say just just ask for help. Open your mouth if you're struggling. Just ask for that bit of help of somebody that you can trust and somebody that you know will put you on the right road. Ask for the help. There's a lot of organisations there that are more than willing to help anybody out. You know, you just have to want this and 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 find somebody that you look up to. Okay. Listen, and, and listen to them. It's been a privilege to speak to you. you. You're an absolute Thank legend. Cheers, Timmy. Thank you. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. A colossal response to Timmy. Just a huge, huge response uh, to, to Timmy's interview. Timmy Long, one half of the Two Norries podcast uh, series two coming up soon. Betty was literally crying on the phone uh, talking about Timmy. Uh, wants to say how strong and that's a wonderful guy he is and uh, thinks he's amazing. Marion wants us to mention, text the word TALK to 50808. And that's a service for people in crisis. Thank you, Marion. Talk, the word talk, to 50808. Outstanding interview. What a brave lad, says Frank. Uh, that young man deserves all the credit, says this call, praise and help he can get. I would really appreciate if he went around to the schools and reached out to the pupils in there. Finn has the pleasure of knowing the lad's brother, Tommy, a rock of a guy that I've witnessed going the extra mile for others. Bear, what an inspirational man Timmy is. I'm so delighted for him and for his family. I admired the way he says it as it was as shit hitting the fan. Bought Timmy all the luck in their family life. Thanks from Bear. Jim in Cove says, what a brave and genuine young man. PJ's interviewing at the moment. He should be so proud of himself. He's an inspiration and should visit schools to give advice to youngsters. And hello to Angeline in Germany. Such an inspiring person. Wonderful interview, says Angeline Briscoe Sperling. And Dermot, <laughs> Dermot, talking in podcast, how is PJ is doing? Uh, he never promotes it and he suspended it during the lockdown. I did, Dermot, I did. 20 Minutes With is my podcast. You'll find it on Spotify. I did stop it at the start of the lockdown because I like to meet people for the podcast. But watch this space, my friend. Watch this space. It shall return. Is it that awful, says Dermot, when you stop it, you messer? Uh, 1850-715-996. But yes, it will return uh, over the next uh, month or so. Just lining up some fresh new interviews. 1850-715-996. Text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. The email is opinion at 96fm.ie. Uh, you can text or you can tweet at opinion996. And of course, the uh, Twitter hashtag is OL96. And the, the Cork's 96FM Facebook page. Uh, send your message for the attention of the opinion line. 1850-715-996. This is an anonymous message. Um, People are talking about the car burned out in Kinvara this morning. It was part of a convoy of three being ridden around the north side at frightening speed last night. I looked out the window and couldn't believe it. I don't frighten easy. I was in town yesterday and it really, really is rough in there now. It was the first time in my life I actually felt uneasy during the day. Scum everywhere and not a cop in sight, says that message. 1850-715-996. Back to COVID-19. Uh, we've talked in the last week or two to a number of people who have suffered from what we call 
long COVID, uh, that they got COVID six months ago and they're still struggling to shake off the last of it. Um, I, I've been hoping for a long time to talk to someone who actually found themselves on a ventilator and, and uh, came back from that brink. Um, a lot of people do. Unfortunately, some people don't. Um, Ian O'Connell, good morning to you. Good morning, how are you? Good, good, good. What age are you, sir? I was 19 uh, three weeks ago. Well, belated happy birthday. Thank you. And you'd be the kind of person that a lot of listeners would think, Asher, you're practically invulnerable. The most you'll get is a cough. What happened? Um, I suppose I, I, I was on a ventilator when I, after my accident back in 2017 and I kind of I was just trying to spread as much awareness as I can about ventilators and like you know how serious it can be like when people were kind of being careless there for a while it kind of kind of annoyed me to see people doing that when there's people out there on ventilators and sick and stuff that can't help it yeah did you get COVID? No, 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 no. No, just no, I was on the ventilator in 2017. Right. And because you had a bad accident, tell me about that. Yeah, um, I was out one day cycling in Killarney in the National Park and I was out with three of my friends and I, I fell off my bike. We were going down a path that we'd, we'd go down every day and my, my front wheel hit the log. There was a log on the ground and I went over the handlebars and broke my neck. Wow. Describe that moment to me when you're staring at the sky and realise something really bad has happened. Yeah, um, I suppose I knew I knew straight away when something that something was wrong because number one I heard the crack of the neck breaking, then I my body went lifeless and all I could move was my eyes. You know, it's, it's a scary feeling when you fall and you get to both get back up and you can't budge a, a muscle. Yeah, that's a terrifying feeling. So, so, so the, the lasting injury was. Are you are you completely paralyzed? Paralyzed now or what? I, well, I'm what? No, I have a complete C4. That's where my accident the level of injury. So that means it's from the shoulders down. Now, you were intubated for a long time, obviously, following your accident. I was, yeah. I was, um, they they told me I'd be on the ventilator for life, really, and I got off it then within 80 days. Good lad. Good lad. And you still have the scar? Yeah, I still have the scar, but, you know, I'm, I, I'm proud to have it. You know, I'd be proud of my scars and, you know, it reminds me what I've been through and what I've overcome. Mm. Now, your message to people, I, 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 I open by saying that, you know, fellas who are 19, 20, 21, they think they're invulnerable to anything, particularly COVID-19, and, and they laugh at the idea of being, of being ventilated. Yeah, I suppose that's the frustrating thing, you know. When you see, when you see everyone trying as hard as they can, and like people like that, you know, that think they're, Invincible and won't get it, you know. They mightn't get it, but they 
they could get it and not suffer and pass it on to someone else, which um, which we've seen lately, like the cases, like yesterday, over 200 cases, you know, it's, it's kind of getting scary, it's always been scary, but, you know, it's, it's now that we really need to step up and make sure it doesn't get worse. Yeah. Have you been scared about getting it? I mean, would you would you need to cocoon, for example, or did you need to cocoon? Um, I didn't personally know, you know, what mine is more of a physical disability, but um I I wasn't scared of getting it, but of course I was I was taking every precaution that I could because I knew that I the fact that I had a collapsed lung and stuff and that my breathing wouldn't be as strong as everyone else's. You know, I was being as careful and I still am to this day, like. Mm. Do you think, and we all saw the videos from Killarney at the weekend and we saw the videos from Skerries in Dublin, do you think people are taking this thing seriously enough, Ian? No, no, not. wondering, like, you know, Killarney, in Killarney, we, we all saw the videos, like, you know, there's Killarney such a, a nice tourist town, like, and everybody all along, they've been trying so hard, taking all the precautions, you know, shots, everything, and, like, then you have people like that on the weekend from the video, you know, that, uh, number one, gives Killarney such a bad name, and number two, like, it's, it's absolutely disgraceful, like, what they were, what a person in Killarney described it as, it was like giving two fingers to the people that have been so good all along, you know, on the front line and everything. Yeah, yeah. Having been ventilated, I think you your message is avoid being ventilated if you can at all. Stay away from this thing. Don't put yourself by way of having to be ventilated. Yeah, 100%. 100% like, I, after I when I was ventilated, when I was being weaned off it, you know, being on the ventilator alone, it was worse than being in a wheelchair. Like, what does it I, feel like, Ian? What can you remember? I can, what I can remember is, like, when, especially when I was getting weaned off it, they, they'd block off the ventilator and you'd have to breathe by yourself. And, like, they'd start at 10 seconds and they'd work their way up and then you could get up to a minute, and the day next day you could only do ten seconds. Like it's so it's claustrophobic. Like you know, not being able to move my body was one thing, and then not being able to breathe was another thing. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, how are you now physically? Obviously, you still have the par- the paralysis, and that's there with you for life. But how is your quality of life now? Quality of life, yeah. Couldn't I'm I'm as happy now as as I couldn't be happier. You know I've come to terms with terms with my accident. I've it's made me a better person. It's it's made me the man I am today. You know I'm grateful for everything in my life. Like uh, recently, you know the support has been so good. I got donated a a new wheelchair van from um it's an All Ireland Golf Challenge that goes on every year and they help someone out. They donated a van to me, you know, there's people still my quality of life, people still there for me, supporting me, and I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for the people that are behind me. 
And finally, Ian, and I know you never got the COVID and I hope to goodness that you don't, but to, to young people who I think what you're saying is you don't realise your vulnerability. What message so, would you give? Um, the best thing I could say is if you don't like wearing a mask, you certainly won't like wearing the ventilator because it's 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 not a nice thing, you know. Just just do. It's not like we haven't been told what to do. We've been told what to do to avoid it and to stay safe. So for God's sake, you know, it's 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 going to pass over. It's not going to be forever. So when it all does, we can look back and say, look, we've done our best through it and we got over it. Listen, pleasure to talk to you and I wish you uh, c- continued good health. Thanks a million. Take care. Cheers, Ian. That's Ian O'Connell. 1850-715-996. That's a very common saying or common meme that's up there all over the, the web now. Do you know, if you're uncomfortable wearing a mask, you certainly won't be comfortable wearing a ventilator or being on a ventilator. 1850-715-996. Still stuff coming in about Timmy. Tom Barry says, well done to the Longs. Fair play to them. He's talking about himself and his brother. Uh, great to hear Timmy on the radio. I was one of Tommy's care workers in, and I can't pronounce the name of that place, Ahiohel, is it? Back in 1996. Met him again recently. Huge turnaround. And that's from Pat Sexton. I, that's one place I can't pronounce the name of. A-H-I-O... H-I-L-L. Is that a heel? Can someone please enlighten me? 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the indoor self-service laundrette. Now at the Junction Vickers Road. Open every day to save you time and money. Selfservicelaundry.ie Who are the worst people in the world? Like, a group of people that do something that are just terrible. They're just awful human beings, and they need to be eradicated off the face of the planet. Ah, go on. Fly tippers. For all people that dump people illegally. That dump rubbish. Oh, yeah. like I thought you meant people that were like, zipping down your zipper going, here's a tenner. <laughs> <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning. Corks 96 FM. This is Corks. Gold, Imro award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Quartz 96 FM. If there's one thing that we, many things that we have missed uh, throughout the last few months because of uh, COVID-19, if there's one thing we have missed desperately, it is live music. And live events. We, we lost the marquee. We lost uh, Irish Independent Park. We lost Electric Picnic. We lost Slane. We lost God, you name it, it's gone. Uh, we have had no live music worth talking about other than what some people were doing on Facebook for the last six months now. And I suppose some of the theatres may reopen soon. Uh, and the, the Everyman will this month, we understand. But there will be no... We can't, there's no jazz festival coming. There's nothing. Um, and the government has come up with an idea now that music events and gigs may be allowed to go ahead if there's no alcohol sold on the premises. This is a new set of uh, 
proposals under consideration by the government. The Minister for the Arts, Catherine Martin, and the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, are now looking at the possibility of giving us back some music and giving us back some live entertainment, but without any booze. And I guess, I suppose, if you want music bad enough, you'll go without booze. Um, that's the new proposal, whether it'll happen or how it's going to happen, we don't know. But let's check in first. I mentioned the Everyman, and they're due back in uh, some form or other this month. Sean Kelly is their CEO. Sean, good morning. Hi, good morning, PJ. Are you are you definitely coming back this month, and in what shape or form will you be back? Um, well, we're definitely, we will have um, performances on sale within the next couple of weeks, and there'll be events at the Everyman um, by the middle of October. Um, so we we will be back. Um, the capacity will be greatly reduced. Um, the cap on indoor gatherings in a controlled environment like the Everyman now is 50, but that includes performers and staff. So we'll probably look at a capacity of about 40 compared to our normal capacity of 650. So it'll be very it'll be very different. Um, the place will be somewhat renovated as well, so it'll, things, some things will look a little fresher. Um, but we will be back with a variety of performances like drama, live music and comedy. How is that going to be viable, though, with only 40 tickets? Um, with great difficulty, I suppose. Um, I mean, normally um, more... Commercial events like Panto and other other things would subsidise less commercial events, but now essentially everything is less is non-commercial, regardless of the of the type of event it is. I mean, it's not it's not viable at all in the long term, but we think between our Arts Council grants and donations we've received from the public and the little bit of income you can raise from forty tickets, that we have something that will be viable in the short term, at least. Till the end of the year, when and you know, when a fresh set of Arts Council grants will come in, and you know, then we'd have to to reassess our situation again. But we do feel we have an obligation, if possible, to serve the people of Cork and to provide that connection to artists and audiences, mm. if if we can. So, so, um, so, what what kind of shows can you stage under those limitations? Um, well, um, th- Things that are reduced in scale considerably, I suppose, um, they'll be, um, you know, I think, you know, people would still, would still really enjoy what we do, but obviously oh, yeah. things like cast sizes will be smaller. The, you can't have the same number of people on the stage, um, but it will be, it's, you know, it will be a reimagined type of event. I mean, things like comedy are, won't change greatly, and um, certain music events, um, you know, things like opera are are much more difficult, obviously, with the, you, where you'd have a lot of people on stage. But, you know, certain types of drama can fit very comfortably onto our stage. And I think, you know, we're in, in talks with a lot of different artists at the moment. We're not able to have been able to confirm anything yet. But right. I think some things are don't have to change at all, can just come as they are, yeah. as they always would have been. And some things we've had to reimagine slightly to ensure everyone's safety and enjoyment. The idea that uh, some events may be allowed to go ahead uh, with a closed bar and that you might get a slightly bigger crowd in there, would you like that idea? Um, well, I think anything that that helps the arts and helps um, people to enjoy the arts is is a good thing. I mean, provided, you know, that everybody's happy that it's safe and this this appears to be so. I mean, I I don't see how a live music performance is in one place is more or less safe than it would be in the Everyman. I mean, I'm sure anyone 
that's doing it will do it responsibly um, in the same way that we are and that other theatres are. So, you know, I mean, I think I I think I'd be I would be supportive of that, and I'm sure everybody in in Cork uh, would be as well. Okay, look forward to hearing who the first performer will be or performers will be at the Everyman. Um, yeah, it's we're not quite we're almost there with confirming everything because. We had initially a plan that allowed for a capacity of 100 because in August the intercap and indoor gatherings was meant to increase to 100. Then that didn't happen, so we had to tear up all of our plans again and go back to everybody we were in talks with. And, you know, some could still still work with us on the lower capacity, some couldn't, and we had to assess if it was if capacity 40 was viable at all for us. So that sort of set us back a bit, and, you know, we were hoping maybe to reopen a little earlier um, than this, but you know we had to. We just had to take the time and be sure that what we had was viable. So we're nearly ready to announce in within the next two weeks. There'll be some okay. announcements. Well, well, let us know, and we'll 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 tell people. And those forty seats, we'll 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 do our level best to help you sell them because you're going to need every cent you can get. Sean, thank you very much. That's Sean Kelly, uh, chief executive of the Everyman uh, opening. Well, they'll be starting to sell tickets in the next couple of weeks and they're hoping to have shows on stage in whatever way they can stage them with a small crowd by the middle of October. And we'd hope, wouldn't we, against hope that we can get the blasted numbers down and maybe get back to 100 people because 50 is just not viable. Actually, the Everyman now have a, a merchandise section on their website. Uh, you can buy prints and postcards from the fantastic history of the Everyman. Uh, so have a pop in there and a look. Help to support one of our great local institutions, uh, the Everyman Theatre. Let's go pop downtown, further downtown to the Old Oak, which is another great place to go to watch a, a live band from time to time. Kevin, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. The idea, the Old Oak being being a, a public house, as it were, the idea that you'd put on a band and have no drink, that kind of work, is it? No, it's not. Like we're looking, like you look at Cypress Avenue upstairs, for instance. Yeah. Let's say we say fifty people at our thing, even twenty years ahead. By the time you pay Imro, VAT, you pay a sound engineer, a lighting engineer, a writer for the band, a box office, advertising, and security, and even the COVID cleaning of fifty. You're talking about two hundred and fifty-five euros left then to pay an artist, yeah. and even to cover some of our own costs. Like, there's no way that's viable. Like, yeah. And if you're about to take it up too high, people won't go anywhere. Well, you won't, but even at 255, like, you're not going to get a top band, you're not going to get anything major. Yeah. So you're going to struggle to get people to even pay 20 euros for yeah. a one-man show or yeah. something And if you like can't that. open the bar, you'd get no takings there either. Well, the bar subsidises, even even the main gigs in the old, in Wood Austin, the bar subsidises. That's that covers the cost of yeah. the, the rates, electricity, insurance, all their own costs are covered by that. Mm. Because when they're doing bands, you keep the costs down reasonable for people. Yeah. So the idea of coming that Catherine Martin and Stephen Donnelly have that you might be able to open some uh, live gigs without without uh, a bar, it, it doesn't make sense to you anyway. I think it doesn't make sense to any any commercial venue. If you're if you're under the arts council, you get arts council grants. Yes, they recover some of the costs of it, but we're a commercial entity which got to look after itself. Mm. So there is realistically no hope that we could actually do anything there. Yeah. I know that from our own um, daily Access All Areas promo, uh, there are concerts being rescheduled for Cypress Avenue towards the back end of the year. 
and you're still hopeful. But will they go ahead, do you think, Kevin? Honestly, but the numbers up, they can't go ahead because there's none of them going to be anywhere near viable. They won't do it like and Plus, the most got a problem too is this is with a lot of big bands and big acts. They don't want to play it to 40 people. No, they don't. What is the they, capacity? They, in they, feed, they feed off the people. It's 500. Right. right. And like the, the, the big band bands feed off the audience and they feed off the crowd. So that's it. Like the other problem, their biggest problem I have is this, and my worry is, is this: when they release the numbers, will we have people? They so mean, like you look at sound engineers, lighting engineers. Mm. They're all out there. What there are people no one sees or else. They all come out of the fifty. But it, besides that, if this is closed much longer, they won't be around. These mm. people are unemployed for the last six months. They got families and they got everything else. And if the COVID's been cut now from three fifty to two hundred or something for them, they can't survive that. I know two or three, I'm not who's telling me like this. If this keeps going on until October, so they're going to have to get the jobs. Yeah. If they get jobs, then they mightn't be around when things open again. Looking across the rest of Europe, Kevin, um, I know that we have to be cautious, but do you think that we're being a bit overcautious? I think, look, I think we are. I think the government is 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 running this thing in knee-jerk reactions the whole time. I mean, the government's supposed to, in my view, is supposed to give people what they need, not what they want. And they seem to be listening to who's shoving the loudest, who's shoving anything else. Like, they were talking about doing gigs, for instance, for 50 people, no drinking them. But if that's logic, why can't they open a, a company for trade shows? Why can't they do sales seminars? Why can't they leave companies to AGMs? Why can't they do staff training events? Mm. These can generate money for businesses. There's going to be no drinks on them. And they can do social distancing and hotels. Yeah, yeah, like you could I mean, use Cypress Avenue for other things. Correct, exactly. And hotels could use it now, the places could use it, and everything like, and there'd be no drinking, there'd be nothing else, and you'd have social distancing, everyone sitting down. There's no problem. It just seems to be. Like, for instance, yesterday they had a meeting in relation to all this, but they invited none of the venues or any of the, basically the self employed people or any of the artists or anything else. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It was only I, the I, arts council people, like. Yeah. Listening to a lot of people in the entertainment game since we have been since the very start of this on all sides, and like you said, the sound engineers, the lighting people, the the, the artists themselves, the mm-hmm. like, the people who who set up the stages. What seems to be happening, Kevin, a lot is decisions are made in the cabinet room, or decisions are made at at, at a NEFET meeting, and you're never asked. Anything about how how would that work, or how could you make this work, or could you work with that? You never seem to get asked. No, no. Like, and you wouldn't mind it, but see, and the, the biggest part of this is, and they're the, we're the industry that gets nothing from the government and generates it. Do you mean you got all the artists, you got all the everything, everything, the money circulates around the whole lot of them, and there's no money given to anyone else, and they're all doing things, and then they come up with these ideas which don't work and can't work. Mm. I've been talking to one or two of the pubs that are doing food over the last uh, while, and I, the Oak is doing food, isn't it? And you're you're open in that regard. Is yes. that is that viable at the present limitations? No, it's not. Basically, like you look at, like, we had a capacity in the old Oak of seven hundred and fifty people. Mm. Like even if you're full up now, every night you talk about one hundred and thirty people, right. and that's for food and uh, the two or three drinks and out one hour and forty five minutes. Like the staffing costs on that, and then all your overhead and what we're doing is this is you're paying a contribution towards your overhead. Mm. But you're not, it's not viable in the long run or anything like that, but you just have to be open. Yeah. And you have to, and we're, look, we're trying to keep it, keep it on a staff and employment, which we did even when we were closed. Like, I mean, so you're trying to keep them there, trying to get them doing these things, and we're making a contribution towards our costs, but is it viable? No, it's not. Mm. Do, you, wor- do, you, do you worry for the future, Kev? 
I do. I do. Like, you look at, like, during the recession, we lost what we call the generation of drinkers. A lot of young, um, a lot of young people, they all stay at home, they all go house party, they all go to the they don't really come out as much. And our fear now is this, is that will we lose the generation of the 30s and 40s mm. who just get comfortable coming home now and just having a bottle of wine and water going out for the crack, for the things. So when it opens, will you... Will they be gone? What do you say to the inevitable people who will message the programme and say, well, now, lads, you know, music and bands and pubs and gigs are luxuries. And for so long as we have people sick and dying, we can't, we have to temper our luxuries. What do you say to that? But, look, you, you do, but it's also to bear in mind for people's uh, mental well-being. Efforts. Like, for instance, like, look at young people, mm. right? They have suffered most in this thing. Like, they have no support. They've no college, they've no graduations, they've no entertainment, they've no socialising, they don't even have dating. I mean, you can't even go to a pub or to a venue or things to try and meet somebody of the, of the form of relationship or anything else. Mm-hmm. There's people out there, and look at country based I'm from West Cork myself, and I just people out there who want to go out, to go out for a game of cards at night time, meet the neighbours, they're living on their own, to just go out there just to socialise, just to get it out there. People need to get out and to have a bit of fun as well because if you're inside the whole time it's not good for your mental health it's not good for socialising it's not good for anything else and when people socialise and they're happier they actually drink less socialising out than they do at home yeah. because they're talking to people they're moving from different places different things whilst at home they're sitting down they can bring a lash of cans and sit down on the sofa and just drink away you know what it's for the drinking and, yeah. you're and you're meeting people you're getting Pubs also, the other thing is this, is pubs are really gone from the old thing. Like, we're now entertainment venues. Mm. Between the, you look at the sport, you look at the, got the live music, every place has got a DJ or a band on for mm. the price of a pint. Mm. You get the sports there, you get the crack, you get the entertainment, you get the fun. Yeah. And that's what it is, and that has to be part of life as well. Yes, yeah. is, is, are people dying? People, yes, these are all very, very important things, and we would never see anything against them or anything else, but mental things for people. And people need to socialise, they need to have a bit of fun and a bit of enjoy life and that too. We have to bear that in mind as well. So you have to get a balance right between the whole of them. Yeah. Kevin, listen, good to talk to you and uh, okay. and, and um, good luck with what in whatever uh, you, you manage to put together over the coming weeks and months. But there's another publican uh, who said to me that this way of doing it with the food and the two hours and turning over the tables and he's gone from 750 capacity in the oak down to 130. It's just not viable in the long term. And I know entertainment is a luxury item. I know it is. But sometimes we need our little luxuries. I was only talking to someone in the last 48 hours or so and just I've had I've seen one live gig this year. One. And that was in the open air down in Carrigaline in the August weekend when Anthony and the Lovebugs put on a show in the green there and it was lovely and everyone distanced properly and all of that but sure that's the only gig I saw all summer and I'm tell you something I miss it's a simple thing to miss and I'm sure you'll identify with this to pop down to the local on a Friday or Saturday night sit up at the counter whether yourself and your friends or maybe on your own sit up order a drink and just listen to some fella on a guitar in the corner. I miss that. And I'm entitled to miss that. You know, and so are everybody else who misses it too. 1850 715 is continuing this one next. The 
Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Junction, Vickers Road, Supermarket, Solid Fuel Depot and a self-service laundrette. You're one stop for everything. It's really important we continue our efforts to stop the spread of coronavirus. New government guidelines have now made mask wearing mandatory in shops, supermarkets, shopping centres and on public transport. Retail staff must also wear a mask, unless there's a two metre distance or a partition. Disposable masks should only be worn once. Cloth masks should be washed daily and multiple masks should be used in rotation. If a mask becomes damp or wet, it's no longer effective and should be changed. Remember, when touching your mask, wash or sanitize your hands. Help stop the spread of coronavirus and stay safe. I've been trying to keep my distance. Keep up to date with the latest COVID-19 information at 96fm.ie. At Volkswagen Financial Services, our solutions are expertly engineered to put you in the driving seat. Choose the flexibility of PCP, low-cost HP finance, or the convenience of leasing. Add extras like servicing and maintenance plans. For Volkswagen, Audi, Skoda, Seat or Volkswagen commercial vehicles, discover financing options that match your needs and your budget. Talk to your local dealer or visit vwfs.ie slash affordability. Volkswagen Financial Services. Affordability engineered for you. Finance provided by Volkswagen Financial Services Ireland. Subject to lending criteria, terms and conditions apply. Get even more value with weekly super savers at Lidl. Our large, fresh Irish roaster chickens were four thirty-five, now only four euro. Fresh Irish pork mince was two forty-nine, now just two euro. And two kilos of white potatoes were two ninety-nine, now half price at just one forty-nine. And make even more savings throughout the store by downloading the new Lidl Plus app. Lidl, more for you. The VAT rate's coming down. So at Woody's, we're helping you save on hundreds of our most popular products by reducing our prices by the full VAT amount. That means you save 21% on all Dulux interior emulsion paint, all laminate flooring, all wallpaper, all picture frames, and all hand tools. So now's the time to get started on your next home improvement project. Just look out for the 0% VAT signs in-store. Woodies, we're all homemakers. Prices shown will be reduced by the VAT rate. T's and C's apply. Would you like to gain a university qualification in the areas of accounting, business, marketing, or human resource management? Whether you're building on existing skills or developing new ones, Cork Institute of Technology School of Business offers you the chance to study on programs that are designed around people with busy lives. Visit cit.ie forward slash business and see why CIT is the leading provider of part-time business education in Cork. Start your journey with CIT. Graduate from Munster Technological University. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Just getting back to the proposals that the government are toying with at the moment. This is a report from the Irish Times from last Monday, the 31st of August, in which they quote... Uh, the Arts Minister, Catherine Martin, and the Health Minister, Stephen Donnelly, uh, trying to come up with, with ideas for gigs. And the Minister intends to examine both indoor and outdoor events and examine if banning alcohol for, could facilitate them being held and possibly to facilitate bigger crowds indoors. And for most event venues at the moment of any decent size, the numbers they can have indoors are just not viable. You heard... Uh, Sean from the Everyman telling me that they can only put 50 people inside at the moment as opposed to 650. You heard 
Kevin from the Old Oak saying they could get about 40 people into Cypress Avenue, apart from the, uh, instead of the usual capacity there of nearly 500. Ray has the, is the owner of the famous Debarras in West Cork. Ray, good morning to you. Uh, hey PJ, uh, thanks for thanks for calling. How are you doing? Uh, delighted to have you on the show. What's what's your capacity down there? Um, well, I suppose uh, kind of the bar is, is um, well. I suppose it's a third generation family run business. Um, it's over two hundred years old, um, and in its its capacity for shows um, would be we'd be about one fifty when we're if we're if we're doing um, in and around that if if we're doing a seated show. Right, right. At the moment, can you put a show on? At the moment, under the current guidelines, um, we are would only be allowed uh, six people indoors or uh, 15 people outdoors. Um, and that's the, under the current guidelines. Uh, there was a load of uh, miscommunications and um, all sorts of carry-on there the, a couple of weeks ago regards uh, venues, um, which uh, the government put out and uh, that would... that. The, the current guidelines um, are for theatres, galleries, and um, uh, museums, which that would allow you to have fifty people indoors. Mm. But you don't count as a theatre. We're not a theatre. Um, I suppose we're a grassroots music venue and have been for the last uh, thirty plus years. Mm. Um, so basically, all the bands that you're probably listening to um, have come through the bars in the earlier, earlier parts of their careers. Many of them still come back to us or had certainly had done in the past yeah and um from that point of view we we also all the, the tech crews the sound engineers uh, stage managers managers um they would all have kind of a lot of the, the ones that um the people you don't see who put on shows would have cut their teeth working in bars sure. and smaller venues like ourselves um, sure. for the last uh, however many years. The future and, will be uh, pretty bleak then unless something changes isn't it Ray? Well look it's uh, it's it's looking very bleak at the moment um, while uh, in reference to the talks to get the live music industry back up and running um, uh, we, we certainly uh, from our, our point of view we welcome that there's um, we're currently not open as it is because we're also a pub and a wet pub. Um, so uh, anything that can get people who certainly that we work with and who that we employ, whether they're engineers or um, uh, in the music industry, will we welcome any talks to get that up and running. It's absolutely unsustainable mm. uh, as a business. Uh, to and and I think any any venue will tell you that. Uh, not to have alcohol uh, um, as uh, involved in, in live music. Like we do not, we don't receive funding, government funding. Uh, we don't receive any kind of aid like that. Um, regards putting on shows. Um, so it, it is, it is a business, and that's how we make our uh, business viable. With regard to the, the wet pub, like you've been trying to open now since August the 10th and, and you still don't know when. We keep being told by the public health experts and look, we must we must bow to their knowledge that it wouldn't be safe to open the pubs at the moment. That's what they say. Do you agree at all? Well, look, um, we were one of the first to close and, and I know you're all probably uh, burnt out from hearing that, but it's a fact. We were government mandated to stay closed. Um, uh, I and us in the bars believe that whatever is necessary for public health, uh, uh, our staff, our customers, that's always and always has been at the um, 
uh, at, the, at the forefront of any any way that we operate. Um, and uh, but we do need a fair uh, playing field, and um, we again places like the Barras, um are not going to be able to reopen unless we get well real uh, support if we're to stay closed, or else uh, at least have uh, be given the opportunity to uh, to open. Mm. Like we've always approached uh, business and our job. Um, ethically and um, you know we're an important part of our community we're an important part of um, our of, of uh, culturally and mm. economically in our in our locality and um, we've been running a, a great house yeah. uh, for the last um, oh, listen, you know, and, and, and known all over the world to be fair as, as a place for like you said grassroots live music and that long tradition are you are you worried Ray that that long tradition May never <laughs> I, return. I, like uh, I'm really, really worried. Like uh, statistically, uh, if, uh, uh, most businesses don't, uh, certainly family businesses don't go past the third generation. And um, it was always my belief that we would be able to kick, uh, you know, kind of book that trend. But it's it's not looking very good now at the moment. All right. Listen, I hope I hope it works out, and I hope one day you'll be back open again, and that everything will be okay. Thank you very much. That's Ray from DeBarris in in West Cork. Caller said, "You want to get onto the crowd up in the doll." This caller is an airport worker and has just lost his job. There are loads of jobs being lost because the government let us down by not looking after the companies long enough. The government's doing nothing to help the ordinary working people. It's wrong. 42 years of age, out of work now for the very first time in my life. He was in the catering section. It's a joke. Caller says there are loads of job losses coming down the tracks. Every other airport in the world is open for travel, except Cork. Shannon is on the brink of closing. The government have to step in and help the workers. Lots of angry people currently in Cork Airport. And here's another one. Dan called with a question. Have we covered the American CDC, that's the Centre for Disease Control, issuing clarification last week regarding the 180,000 deaths in the US linked to COVID? It said 6% of those under 10,000 were actually attributable solely to COVID. The other 84% had on average 2.4 other comorbidities, which is underlying conditions. The implication of that is profound. In the US, COVID has now killed under 10,000 people we can actually identify. The equivalent here is between 60 and 110. Caller says this is astounding news. Surely this is a game changer as regards how the government is tackling it and says the media are not interested in this. Well, we might talk to Dan tomorrow and see and, and look into that. There has been talk, and I don't know where you're not hearing it in the media, Dan. There has been talk, because we covered it ourselves here, of is a death from COVID, is a death of COVID, or is a death of somebody with COVID? That's been discussed. And also, you should bear in mind, that over 30% of the Irish population have some kind of underlying condition. What we're going to do is, take your comment on board, Dan, we look into it a bit further. The executive research desk will do a bit of legwork and see where we can go with this. But it's one we're definitely willing to discuss. A lot of people say, oh, you're not discussing the real issues. You're doing much. We'll discuss it. 
once we have a look at it. Very briefly, before we finish, Keelan, good morning. Hi, PJ. How Hi. Are you? When, when are you doing this marathon? Sorry, what did you say? Sorry? When are you doing your marathon? This Saturday now. This, this Saturday. Now, the original plan was you were going to do the Cork Marathon, but that got cancelled. But who are you? You're, you're doing it for a specific purpose. I'm doing it for a Parkinson Association of Ireland. Okay, and and why? Because uh, well, well, I was I I decided that I, like everything else in my life was cancelled, so I decided that I'd go ahead with the marathon, and I said I'd pick a a, a fundraiser to do it for. And my my granddad has Parkinson, so kind of hits close to home, and um, it's a worthy cause, like because they're not government funded or anything like that, so they they need the funds. Like there's no cure for Parkinson's, and they're funding the research, and they're also helping people with Parkinson's, over 12,000 people. So I felt like they were in need of money, especially in these times. Yeah. And what's your route? My route, I'm starting out in Watergast Hill and then I'm going down through Glanmire and into town and out through the, the Black Rock Walk and back up to Ball of Land. Right. And that'll be about 42 kilometres then at the end. And you're hoping to do it in under four hours. Have you ever done a marathon yourself before? No, no, this is my first now. So it's on the bucket list. Right, right. And would you be a fellow that runs regularly or did you just take it up from scratch? Well, I used to do a lot of boxing and uh, from then I kind of started doing a lot of running. And I, I just, I was always running a little bit. Mm. But it's, this is kind of new for me to be running this much, if you if you get me. Indeed. And what age are you, lad? I'm 19. All right. Well, listen, I wish you the very, very best of luck. Thanks very much. I, I, if anyone wants to contribute, you've got a, a donate page, haven't you? And uh, it's on I donate online. I donate. Ie. Okay. And if you were to look up Keelan's Marathon on Google, it'll be the first one that comes up. All right, Keelan's Marathon on Google, and it'll take you to the I donate page. Best of luck with it, and, Thanks, and I hope you raise an absolute fortune and good luck with it. Hope you've got good support on the road as well. And we've also tweeted a link to that page. Help the lad raise a bit of money for Parkinson's disease. All right, listen, that's it. It's been a busy one. The programme edited by Deirdre O'Shaughnessy, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. We will follow up on that CDC story tomorrow when we're back just after nine. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.